Newsflash LT, the 2016 Wellness Summit is confirmed. Pop into your diary and get your tickets now at the super early bird rate. Be there on September 10th and 11th in Melbourne with 1,000 other like-minded wellness enthusiasts. And for a limited time, purchase your ticket at this incredible rate. Up until Christmas Day, five Wellness Summit tickets are yours for the price of two. That's better than two for one. That's two and a half for one. Bring a leg, bring an arm, bring your wellness tribe for less than 120 bucks per ticket for a never-seen-before format of the summit. And even better, every ticket purchased before Christmas goes into an incredible draw to win one ticket to the 2016 Wellness Breakthrough. I cannot believe we're actually giving this away. It's worth $3,000. Get excited, people. Get very excited. To get access to the biggest and best wellness summit ever and enter this special Christmas draw, go to thewellnesssummit.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to The Abnormal Psychologist, the show that shares everyday insights into getting the best out of your mind, body, and lifestyle. Now, please welcome your host, The Abnormal Psychologist herself, Carrie Thompson-Casey. Hello and how are you going? Welcome to another episode of The Abnormal Psychologist with me, your host, Carrie Thompson-Casey, the show where we are giving you the how-to to to get the best out of you. And today we are talking to Dr. Christine McLeod, who is a clinical psychologist in child and family health at Nepean Blue Mountains Local Health District. And the reason I have invited Dr. McLeod onto the show is to share with me and you a little about the psychology of moving, because as you all know, I'm in the middle of a move at the moment, moving all the families 700 kilometers away and interstate. So welcome, Dr. McLeod. Hi, Carrie. How are you? Yeah, I'm great, thanks. So tell us, how did you come to the world of psychology and to study this particular area? Well, psychology is something that has always interested me, perhaps because I'm an eldest child and lots of psychologists are elder children. Uh, It's just something that I went on and studied and then continued to study, gathering roughly one degree per decade. Okay. So, um, yes, it's been a, a big interest of mine, and I love the variety in psychology. As far as um, how I got to study my interest in children moving, well, I married an Air Force officer. Ah, uh, yes, so that's uh, lots of trouble. Moving comes with the territory whenever you marry into the military. And although... Our children didn't do a lot of moves after they were at school. We did a fair few before they went to school. And then each of them probably went to two primary schools and two high schools. And I just noticed the thought that I would put into what would be required to help them settle. And I always said to myself that if I were ever to do a thesis on anything, I would do it on children and moving And uh, lo and behold, about 10 or 12 years ago, I went back for my, um, for yet another set of degrees and um, studied children and the resilience factors and other factors that would help them settle after moving. So that's my story in brief as to how I got onto that. So what did your research involve? Did you look at families or, or did you speak to families? How was that done? Look, I must admit I did it the easy way, if any research can be called easy, and that was that I actually sent out questionnaires um, to all New South Wales schools just to see whether parents would mind filling in the questionnaire. So it was the parental viewpoint, 
And I must admit it would be interesting to further study on what the children's viewpoint was. Yes. So so parents filled out a, um, like the CBCL, which is a behaviour, it looks at both behaviours and emotions in children. And also they filled out another questionnaire that looked at resilience factors. And then they also just listed the number of times they'd moved and socioeconomic status, a, a number of different factors, which then I compiled um, and used a, a statistics program with the help of my supervisor. Statistics and I aren't the best of friends. <laughs> I understand completely. Uh, and sort of, and came up with, with my results. So just go back to the, the behaviour checklist, if you can, for a moment. So what kind of behaviours would you be measuring that would be of concern? Like what kind of behaviours are you asking parents to, to look out for? I think that one looks at any acting out behaviours. So that may be temper tantrums. It may be um, not participating in activities. It may be being more grumpy or more teary. So both the acting out behaviours and the internalising behaviours of emotions um, are measured in that fairly lengthy questionnaire. Okay. And so the other instrument, what did you say that you used? It was more a resilience factor. So what... that's, that's right. It so... was a behavioural emotional rating scale that um, captured factors like um, like school readiness, it looked at academic issues, both intrapersonal and intrapersonal behaviours. So their so, relationship between their relationship with other people and their relationship with themselves—is that what you mean? That's right. Yes, that's right. Okay. So, what were you what were you were you thinking that you would find, or your hypothesis? I had quite a lot of hypotheses, many of which weren't necessarily found because in the end I had a smaller population sample than what I would have liked. But some of the things that I, I did find were things like um, positive, the importance of positive parental attitude and interestingly enough, positive maternal attitude even more so than just general parental attitude. And that carried, even if the move was for the father's job, it was still that positive maternal attitude was shown to be very important. Can you break that down a bit for us? So, so what, were the, what did that look like? So if, if you were to paint a picture of this positive maternal attitude, what, what I mean, I'm because I'm guessing that that positive maternal attitude or the aspects of that can actually be helpful in any context. So, Very much, yes. So, so what, what, what would she look like, this, mater positive, this maternal person? This, this mother would find things to look forward to in this, in this place they were going to. I remember in one of our moves, when we moved to Melbourne, for instance, a couple of the things that, I, that we, we set up was um, we'll go down and look at the fairy penguins. There's something to look forward to. Yes. Um, it's cold in Melbourne, so I think that we can get electric blankets for the two of you. So these were little things to look forward to. Yes. I think being genuinely keen, so that would be the mum 
really looking for things herself that are genuinely positive about the move. It might be a bigger house. It might be a more convenient house. It, um, it might be a more interesting job. So just that general positive outlook, which then you share with the children and help get them a bit excited because there's nothing... Moves aren't always positive. I mean, even with a good move, there are drawbacks. And I think the mum just can help look at the positive aspects of the positives and how they may outweigh the, the negatives. The, or at least highlight that there are potentially that's, positives. That's right. That's, that's right. The other thing that I think that uh, maybe why a maternal attitude is important is that mums are often the ones who take care of the daily, the routine. And maintaining a similar routine can be important for children, particularly younger children, but I wouldn't underestimate that for older children either. You mean like having some predictability in their day despite yep. different surroundings? That's right. That's right. I remember one time painting our children's bedrooms the same colour as their home bedrooms just so that there was some standards, some similarities, some things that were not necessarily changing. Yes, it's actually interesting you say that. I remember when I first moved to the UK a long time ago, but when I moved to the UK and I remember moving into this strange house as a nanny for this family and I remember the um, the book Schindler's Ark, I think it was called, yes. um, and the spine of that book was the only familiar thing in the entire house because everything was around back to front. The kitchen was had the laundry in it as well and everything was all over the place and it was totally different. But that book spine was the same as the book spine at my mum's house. And so that was just this sort of point of contact as I walked in the door each time in those first few weeks of, you know, yes, you know, I am still on the same planet, you know, it's all that kind of stuff. So, yes, that's really interesting about that, um, having the, the familiar around or those that similar similarities between that secure home life of before, so to speak. That's right. Yes. I guess part of maternal... Or- Going on from the positive maternal attitude, other things were our parenting quality in general, uh, fitting in with what we were just saying a moment ago about um, parents being reasonably consistent, uh, being predictable, being immediate in the way they attend to issues and being decisive, which is sort of following through with what they say. Uh, and I think very much whenever there's big change, like a move, part one parenting quality that we've looked at more and more in recent years is that ability to look behind a behaviour and to um, to listen to to tune into the to their emotions. So if a child who has moved throws one almighty temper tantrum one day. It mightn't just be the temper tantrum. They're not necessarily being a bad child. Maybe it's all just caught up with them. And so, so, so something like, um, you know, my sister stole my drink and the, and the tears seem to be a little bit more than my sister stole my drink. And so sometimes asking those questions, okay, if this is – just say this is not about your sister stealing your drink. Could it be about something else that's happened today or something else that's on your mind? Is that what you mean? Even easier than that, I would just tune into the wow, it looks you're, like you're very upset. 
and giving them an in to to talk about their feelings. Um, yeah, that tuning into kids type of, uh, of of approach, which has just shown to be very effective in managing children's behaviour these days. Right. I have to say, I'm sitting here taking notes as a mum. I'm like, <laughs> right, okay, right, immediacy, right, check, I'll just check. <laughs> so, so was there any other aspects to this maternal environment or shall we move on to what your findings were? Um, th- those were the main things really about the, the maternal environment and, and what we found there. Um, we could move on to, like there weren't a lot of things, there were probably those three or four main things uh, that I found uh, and the positive maternal attitude and parenting quality just being one of them. So they're the main aspects that foster this resiliency that, that support children through moving. It is that and, the, and two others that I found particularly for that 8 to 12 age group was good academic grounding. Um, what does that mean? It means really knowing their schoolwork. Okay. If they can, they don't have to be whiz-bang at school, but I think ensuring that there aren't any gaps in their education, which can sometimes happen whenever they move because maybe the two times table was done last year uh, and they hadn't got around to it yet in the school that they were at. So covering any gaps and just helping them, grounding them has just been shown to be one of the um, resilience factors that will help children adjust well to a move. Sorry, what was that last bit, Christine? I think you dropped out a little bit just now. I think it was just just really cementing the, the point about the importance of those grounding okay and did you say there was another point one more and the and the other one was social skills so yes, of course social skills that ability to make friends to get along with people to empathize um to be able to do some social problem solving those types of things uh so that so those social skills along with the good academic grounding, were probably the most important factors that came out that you can actually help a child with, Um, particularly these, as I said, the 8 to 12-year-olds. And what I did like about those two findings is that there are things that you can work on. Those aren't inborn or inherent things, although clearly some children find social skills easier than others. But, you know, you can teach social skills and you can help them with their homework. Yes. So so did the study also look what aspects of, say, social skills, for example, like what um, the how of that, like how is it that parents or guardians might assist the child adapt to that move socially? Not in particular, just really in in helping them with social skills. So being aware of it, being aware of that that might be an area that they might need a bit of extra support. That's Do right. you mean like arranging play dates and things like that? And very much arranging play dates. I also think that, that um, those larger resilience factors like being involved in other community places, whether it be sport or your church 
or dancing or scouts or something, those aspects of um, community sort of a social network, like broader social network, even outside of school. That's right. They enhance social skills. And well, it's a bit of a catch-22. Also, they enhance social skills and having social skills enhances the attendance at, uh, at various of those different activities that children can get involved in. Yeah, it makes sense though. Like, and it probably benefits the parents as well to, you know, from a socialist perspective, to be able to go out to these things, not just the children. Yes. So with all of your moving, and so I'm guessing a lot of your moving was done prior to the research, is there a point at which when you're sort of wrapping up some of your findings and thought, gosh, I wish I'd known that when I'd moved? Or do you feel like you, because it sounds like you were pretty prepared with painting the walls and being consistent. So which happened first, the research or all the moving? The moving actually happened first. And I was interested, my, my children by and large settled well. When I say by and large, it's not always going to be easy. And that's where the listening to them and acknowledging the difficult days is really important. It would be unhelpful to pretend that it was all going to be just wonderful because it's not. It's hard. So that listening to them is important. Um, and I've lost the track of what I was saying. Just no, to- that's it. All- <laughs> it was more about you and, and, and whether or not your research findings reflect your own experiences, having been such a proficient mover by the sounds of it. Look, I was very pleased to say that they did. Yes. So, and I think that's one of the things that I liked in the research too was being able to just clarify for myself that um, what I did was a useful thing. Yes, that validation, yeah. That's right, and that you can, in fact, there are things within your power to help your children settle, that it isn't always just a flip of the coin and let's see how it will go. Yeah, yeah. So what about as an adult, you know, with all of that moving, by the time you moved around a few times, is there anything that you felt you did that made the moves that bit easier each time? For me or for my children? For you. For me? I made friends. So interestingly enough, whenever we moved, I went and visited neighbours and got involved in the community more so than when I'm at home, which sounds a bit funny, but you take those things for granted a little bit whenever you're at home. But when I moved, I would go and visit my neighbours and introduce myself. I would join the, the school body. I think I ended up being president of the parents association one time and and, t- and being a netball coach when I had never played netball in my life. <laughs> uh, you know, the, these type of things. And so I would get to meet other parents um, and, and that would help me settle. And I, look, I found things to look forward to also so that I literally did enjoy everywhere I lived. Wow. Okay. So what have you learned about other people through your work? What have you learned? Well, the things that I have learnt in general, and this isn't just about moving. So as a clinical psychologist, I see a range of issues. And some of the things I've learnt about people is that they're often stronger and far more resilient than you would expect, considering the stories 
that some of them bring with you. Yes, I've heard that a lot. Yes, I think, um, yes, it's amazing what people can can survive. It is. It really is amazing. Mm. I've seen people overcome some enormous difficulties and often just through sheer determination on their behalf. Mm. No, it's very interesting. Um, other things I've learned are that parents often underestimate the importance of the home environment on the impact both positively and negatively on children's behaviour um, and that because of this working with them is an integral part in changing the children's behaviour. There are sometimes parents who would like us to be able to see their children and sort things out whereas in fact we can't really work with a child outside of the context of their home environment. We need to work with the parents too. Absolutely. So that's one thing I've learnt. Interestingly, I've also learnt that people are sometimes motivated to make big change in their life more for the benefit of others than for themselves. And I've noticed it in particular with parents who will, again, make some amazing changes, even like addressing major issues in themselves for the benefit of their children, more so than for their, for their own benefit. Okay. Um, so that, that different motivation is interesting. Mm. And um, I guess I've also learnt that in working with them that therapy can be hard work. Yes, indeed. It, it really is. It takes them a lot. It takes time. It's not always easy. Um, but a lot of people persevere and they have my enormous respect for the efforts they put in. Yes, definitely. What about yourself? What, are, what have you learned about yourself through this process of working as a psychologist and, and in this research process? Well, about me, well, I think I've learned that I've actually been very fortunate in life, in my upbringing, in my health, in the opportunities that have opened. Um, and I have learned, most importantly, that clinical psychologist that I have to practice what I preach, that being a clinical psychologist doesn't... Um, doesn't inoculate me from having the ups and downs in life. Uh, just like I will preach to my clients, I need to eat well and sleep well. I need to exercise. I need to monitor any unhelpful thinking patterns that I might have. I need to be grateful. And I need to check that I am living my values you may recognise some some different um, psychological approaches in that, whether it's a cognitive behavioural approach or an acceptance commitment therapy, but it pertains to us just as much as our clients. Oh, Christine, you're, you're, you're talking my language at the moment. As the TAP listeners would know from my previous episode where I was a bit raw and uncut in my overwhelm at all the, the changes happening for me and my family and our businesses and all sorts of things. But yes, I, I think it's so true. And that is why the show is called The Abnormal Psychologist is it is because I am not perfect. And if I'd called the show The Clinical Psychologist, I think it would have been a bit boring. But it is indeed called The Abnormal Psychologist because well before I'm a clinical psychologist, I'm a girl and I'm a mum and I'm a wife and I'm a daughter, all those things and and imperfection is rife. But sure. tell me about things that you said, you know, that you do monitor your sleep and, and exercise and food. So are there any particular rituals you're really um, 
dedicated to, to, to keep yourself balanced and focused? A few things. Um, I go to the gym, uh, not obsessively, but you know, it's about three times a week. I go to church. It looks after the spiritual part of me. I read books. I sleep well. So, and, and I incorporate those into my everyday life. And I suppose I talk with my colleagues at work. If there's something that's bothering me, I'm going to talk with them. Yes. Those are part of my, so that's sort of my week all, all rolled up. Okay, wonderful. So how can people find you if they want to learn more about your research or, or your work with children and families? How can they find you? Um, I'm available through New South Wales Health. Um, did you want a, an email address? Or? Well, probably the best thing is if people are looking for support services for children and families, whether it's in the context of moving or whether there's any other child or family mental health issues that they might need support with, that perhaps if they can contact their local child and adolescent or child and family health services in their local area, but you specifically, they might be able to contact you via the Nepean Health District. They could indeed. That's right. Now, PM Blue Mountains Health. And every, like in New South Wales, and I imagine other states too, we're divided into health districts. And part of these health districts generally incorporate a child and family community health, as well as then other child and family services. So I'd always start with your local health district. Yes. Or even your GP. That's great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Dr. McLeod. I have scratched down notes all through the interview and um, really love what you've said because it's not just, I think, advice for people who are moving, um, whether they have children or not. I think it's just good, sound advice for good mental health and work to improve our resilience or those we love that are living in our homes. And I've loved having you, the tap listener with me today and with Dr. McLeod, but please don't forget to spread the word and tell your friends to listen to and subscribe to Tap in iTunes. If you know someone who's moving, say, I've got this great podcast for you to listen to about before you move anything make sure you listen to this podcast and please don't forget to give the show a five-star rating if you liked it and if you enjoy the podcast and learning about strategies to improve your mood and psychological health please check out my website at carriethompsoncasey.com thank you for joining me and see you on the next episode of the abnormal psychologist where we share real people's stories and give you real ideas so that you can realize your potential take care This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.